Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. On every journey, there will be moments where fear and doubt tempt us to turn around. In those moments, let the word be a lamp for your feet, turn to Jesus, and don't turn back to the boat. Hello and welcome to the Don't Turn Back podcast. I am your host, Mark Vorce. Thank you for taking time out uh, to join me today to spend a little time in this podcast where we really just aim to spend a little time in the Word, um, going back to stories and passages and topics um, that maybe over the course of time, familiarity or repetition have washed away some of the deeper meaning and some of the deeper context. The idea is not to um, tell a different story than what the Bible tells, but really to go back and take a look at what the text is telling us to get the complete story of what the Bible's trying to tell us, to really spend time in God's Word and really pull out the complete message, the complete lessons that He's trying to share with us through it. And so today we're going to actually take a look at uh, the namesake story um, or the namesake lesson that created the Don't Turn Back podcast. And that is a lesson I wrote some time ago called Don't Turn Back to the Boat. And in this, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, where Peter and Jesus are on the water together. So if you're like me, um, growing up, I heard this story a lot. And a lot of times when it was preached in church, the message that was delivered um, was that this was another place where Jesus showed his divinity. It's another place where Peter's zeal um, caused him to rush too quickly and to get into trouble. It's another place where Peter's faith was weaker than it needed to be. And it was another time when Jesus bailed him out. And while all those things are biblically accurate, the text supports every single one of those messages, um, they're an oversimplification of what really takes place in the story. And so when you think about the context in which this interaction occurs, and you think about who Peter was as a person, what you'll find is there's a story within the story. And that in that, Peter acts in a way um, that actually is quite remarkable and a tremendous demonstration of faith, and it creates a model um, that we often overlook, but a model that um, as, as Christians, as believers trying to build a better relationship with Christ, really need to take a look at and, uh, and really consider how we emulate that in our own lives. And so that's where we're going to spend our time today in this particular podcast. But to do that, what I'd like to do is set the stage. And I'd like to set the stage by going back into the text itself. And, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to share that text with you, to share the story one more time. And what I would ask you to do, if you're in a position to be able to do this, is to listen to this next part with your eyes closed. Try to picture in your mind's eye what the environment was like, what the scene was like, and let that start to rebuild some of the context that our familiarity with this story has washed away over time. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 14, um, verses 22 through 33. And again, close your eyes and just listen and let that story, let it build a picture in your mind. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. 
and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. So let that picture settle in your mind for a second and just really think about that entire interaction. So what was the most important choice that Peter made? As you think about the context of the story and you kind of go back into the details, um, you've got that picture in your mind. What was the most important choice that Peter made that night? In the way the story is often preached in church, uh, the most important choice that's talked about is him actually getting out of the boat in the first place. And, and while I would say uh, there is some, some value in that, that point of view, I might suggest there's actually a different choice that Peter made. Um, and in fact, the choice to get out of the boat may not really have been a choice at all. So, I mean, let's not forget, there's a, there's a group of people around Peter who have now just heard him say to Jesus, hey, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and come out on the water, and I will. And Jesus' immediate response is to say, okay, come on out. So if you're Peter in that dynamic, you're trying to be a good follower of Jesus. You're trying to be, um, in some ways, a leader of this group of men. At a minimum, you just want to be a part of this group of men. And Jesus has now just told you to come out onto the water. I don't know how many of you have been in circumstances like this before where um, it's almost like you're being dared to do something and you're in front of a crowd of people and you just want to save face. Um, You don't sometimes do things based off of a complete and pure choice in that particular environment. And I would tell you in this moment, as Peter is in the boat, and he is in this place where Jesus has just invited him out onto the water, I don't think there's much Peter's really going to do other than step out of the boat. Now, in that moment, he may be regretting that he opened his mouth and said it, But when Jesus invites him out on the water, if he wants to continue to have the kind of relationship with these men that he wants to have, I just don't know that Peter's sitting there saying, you know what, on second thought, I think I'll stay in the boat. I think in reality, Peter knows he has to step out at that point, which makes him getting out of the boat much less of a choice than the real choice that Peter made, which is in the moment of crisis, when he started to sink, he turned to Jesus instead of turning back to the boat. You see, one of the things we tend to forget about when we think about this story is the context and the environment and the fact that the boat was a real alternative for Peter in that moment. A lot of times when we think about this story and Peter's out on the water, we wash away in our mind everything else but Peter and Jesus together on the water. And we forget about the boat being there. But understand, the boat is there. And it is a very real alternative for Peter. So let's talk a little bit about what the environment was and why that would have been an actual real choice for Peter to think about. So first off, let's think about what was going on at the time. What was it like at night while this was happening? Well, first off, it was dark. The Bible tells us it was between 3 and 6 in the morning. We know that there was likely no, well, not likely, there was no ambient light coming from the shore. So if you've ever been on a lake uh, at night, you know, just in our common culture today, right? There are lake houses all the way around it. There's street lights. You've got all kinds of businesses. You've got all kinds of lights. 
um, around the lake shore that create a little extra ambient light out on the lake itself. There would have been none of that. It would have been there, right? There is zero light coming from the shore. So no extra ambient light to brighten up what is the darkest part of the night. Uh, we know that it wasn't a very pleasant weather night, right? The, we know the wind was blowing really hard. Um, and while the Bible doesn't say it, we can make an assumption, and I want to be clear, I am making an assumption that it was also probably cloudy, it, right? It, it, as the wind is blowing strongly, uh, the waves are battering them, odds are it's not a clear night in the sky, right? There's probably something going on in the sky as well, some kind of cloud, some kind of storm maybe, um, but that also would have had the effect of reducing the light that might have come from the moon or the stars if they were there. Assumption aside, one thing we do know for sure is it had to be misty, right? If you've ever been in a boat that's being battered by the waves, you're getting spray off of the waves, off the water, uh, right? So there's just going to be this constant mist around you, which is uh, not only making it hard to keep your eyes open to be able to see clearly, but even if you can, it's just impacting your visibility. The distance you can see goes down quite a bit. It is possible that in the boat there was a torch or a lantern of some kind, uh, but also understand with those strong winds blowing, it wouldn't have been burning very well, right? Devices like that don't put off a lot of light when there are really strong winds. And so even if it was there, it wasn't casting, frankly, probably much more light than what you would have just within the boat itself. So what does that mean? Well, it means, right, if you've ever done this, and I have before, I live out in the country, um, and so even living out in the country, quite honestly, we still have a, quite a bit of ambient light from uh, night lights and, and you know, nearby towns. I've been out in the dark um, it, at night and just tried to see how far I could actually see. And the reality of it is beyond about 15 to 20 feet, in, even in an environment with a lot of ambient light or some ambient light, you really can't see movement and certainly could not see movement to distinguish a human form which is the reality, right? The disciples recognize the movement on the water and they recognize it as a human form to be able to call out that it's a ghost. And so what does that mean? It means that when this whole encounter started, Jesus couldn't have been any more than 10 to 15 feet away from them. He had to be incredibly close in order for them to be able to see him at all. Now, a couple other things I want you to think about in terms of the context that kind of helps build the atmosphere that they would have been in. We know it was windy. Bible tells us that. The waves would have been crashing and that boat would have been rocking, bouncing all over the place. It wasn't making a lot of progress because of the wind and the waves that it was up against. Because of that environment, what do we know? Fear was very present, right? Fear is a powerful motivator when it comes to making choices. So fear would have been present, even in a guy like Peter, who maybe would have been a little less fearful um, than his compadres in that moment, but fear would have been a, a, just part of that atmosphere. And one of the other things I want you to keep in mind as we, as we picture this scene is to not forget the fact that there are other people in the boat. You know, we've already talked about it from the standpoint of Peter's willingness, the, the, the level of choice he had to get out of the boat, right, would have been driven by the way he wanted to look in front of the other people. Other disciples were in the boat. And it's important not to forget that they're sitting there because they not only have an impact on the importance of the decision Peter made to get out of the boat, but they, their presence has a significant impact in us thinking about and evaluating the decision Peter's going to make when it comes time to turn back to Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about Peter. 
What are some things that we would know about him um, that should also impact the way we evaluate the choices that he made in that moment? Uh, what do we know? He, we know he was a fisherman. The Bible is very clear about the fact that he is a fisherman. There's not a lot of doubt about that. We also know that he fished at night. So uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 um, helps demonstrate that he was a fisherman. Luke chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, and John chapter 21, verse 3 also give us some indication that Peter fished at night and helped set the basis that being in a boat at night was probably not a new thing for him. Given the fact that there weren't weather apps and GPS and storm radar at the time, it's also likely that he had been in a boat at night and had a storm pop up on him that he wasn't expecting. So this situation, as bad as it was, probably not a new thing for him. He's probably navigated this before safely and knows what to do in a moment of like a moment like that, which now only elevates the importance of the boat itself in the context of this story. Why? Because that boat represents something for Peter um, that becomes very, a very important choice for him. So what does that boat represent? If you're Peter and you're a fisherman, you're used to being in a boat, you're used to being in a boat at night, you've probably been in a boat at night in a storm. What would that boat have been in this particular moment? Well, the first thing it would have been is a place of control. Peter has navigated this situation before. He knows how to handle a boat. He knows how to sail at night. And so that would have been a place where he knew he could have some control over the environment that he's in. It would have been a place of safety because he's navigated it before with safety. He would know he could do it again. And certainly being in the boat would have been a much safer place to be than being in the water in that particular environment. I would also contend that the boat was likely a place of peace and a comfort zone for Peter. That was a domain or a kingdom, if you will, that he had familiarity with and as a result, and had had success with. So as a result, it'd be a place where he would find some peace, he would find some comfort, which would uh, tie right back into the control and the safety that the boat represented. All of this rolled together, what does the boat really represent here? It represents the most obvious and tempting alternative to trusting Jesus. So go back to the fact that Jesus couldn't have been more than probably 10 to 15 feet away from the boat when this encounter started. Understand that when Peter started to sink, that means the boat couldn't have been more than 10 to 15 feet away from him when this all started to happen. So now Peter's caught on the waves, sinking, and he has a choice to make. Do I turn to the boat, knowing there are people in the boat, there's a rope in the boat, that's the place of safety. I've been in a boat before at night. I can survive there. Or do I turn to Jesus? And what did Peter do? In that moment, in the middle of that chaos, in the place where fear had to be off the chart, he ignored the place of safety, the place of comfort, the place of control, the worldly place of safety and comfort and control. And he turned to Jesus and he asked Jesus to save him. And that, my friends, is the example that Peter made, set for us, the model for us to look at that allows us to find a different way to handle challenges in our lives. No one would begrudge somebody in that circumstance for thinking the boat would be a good place to go. But in that moment, with that fear, Peter let his faith take over and he threw himself at Jesus for his safety and his rescue. 
And that is the thing that we need to look at. So the first thing I want to do is I want to think about if that boat represented a place of safety for Peter, what does the boat in the story represent for us? Or what are the boats that we have in our own lives? Well, they're the things that compete for our time and attention. They're the things that the world says matter or should make us feel better. They're the things we turn to instead of God when we're in trouble. And if you take a second and you just just look inward for a minute, those things, we know what they are. We know those things in our lives that, that we turn back to, that we rely on when we get stressed, when we get anxious, when we get nervous, when we get scared. Um, yeah, frankly, when we get caught up in trying to build our own little kingdoms, we know what those things are that compete for our time and attention. Those things are the boats in our lives. They're the things that when we get in that moment of trouble and we have the choice between turning to Jesus or turning to something we can control, that's what those things are. It's the things that compete for our time and attention, the things that take our focus off of God um, instead of relying completely on him. And so one of the things I challenge you to do is really think about what those things are and how do you minimize the, the, the importance of those things in your life? How do you keep the boat from being the choice you turn to in your moments of crisis or your moments of trouble or your moments of stress? So as I mentioned before, Peter set a model for us. He, he got himself into a place where he had a chance to have this moment out on the sea with Jesus. So how did he get there? Well, the first thing I would tell you is he recognized Jesus. We know this, um, right? Because he calls out to Jesus and says, hey, if it's you, then tell me to come out. So he recognizes everyone else is thinking it's a ghost. He recognizes that it's Jesus. Secondly, he knew the power of Jesus. Um, he knew when Jesus called him out onto the water that Jesus could actually do that. And he trusted Jesus. So how did he get there? Well, I mean, let's keep in mind, Peter's decision didn't happen in a vacuum, and it didn't happen in an instant. It was formed by the relationship and the experiences he had with Jesus. If this had been the first encounter that he had had with Jesus, would he have even trusted that Jesus could allow him to walk on the water? I, I think it's really unlikely. And if it had been the first time he'd met Jesus, would he have turned to him when he started to sink? Uh, would Peter have known enough to know that the weakness in this encounter was his own faith and not Jesus's ability? See, the, the thing that allowed Peter to do this is the depth of relationship that he had with Jesus that put him in a position that made this really a no-brainer for him. Uh, one, to get out onto the water, and then two, uh, to, to turn to Jesus when trouble came up. And so one of the things that we talked right, the first thing we talked about as to how we get into this moment is that Peter recognized the presence of Jesus, right? So if you go back to the text, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Peter recognized Jesus enough to offer to come out of the boat. So how would Peter have known it was Jesus? Well, I mean, I think certainly right, familiarity has a lot to do with this, right? So first and foremost, Peter probably recognized something in the movements. You know, people we're really close to that we spend a lot of time with, they have mannerisms, they have movements about them, they have things that, that signal to us, like we can just pick them out um, by nothing more than seeing their physical presence. And so I think that's part of it. But I also think the other piece of this is Peter recognized the voice of Jesus. And so when Jesus called out and said, um, have courage, it's I, don't be afraid, 
I don't think there was a lot of doubt at that point in Peter's mind as to who they were actually speaking to. Something else to keep in mind, the phrase, Lord, if it's you, um, that appears in the text, can also be translated to something more like, since it is you. Which means, right, when Jesus called, Peter recognized his voice. And when he recognized his voice, then Peter obeyed. Um, His request to Jesus was not one of those, prove it to me, like, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but if it's you, tell me, and if you tell me, then I'll believe you. This is more, Jesus, I know it's you. I, I recognize your voice. I hear you. And so since it's you, tell me to come out onto the water. So his request to Jesus really was a bold proclamation of his faith. So that's the first component. He recognized the presence of Jesus. But the second component of this is recognizing the power of Jesus. And so when Jesus tells him to come out of the water, the text says, and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and he came toward Jesus. How would Peter have known that Jesus had the power to be able to make this happen? What would Peter have experienced leading up to this point that would have given him some level of insight or some level of faith that Jesus could do what he just said he did? Well, I want to go through quickly the number of miracles, recorded miracles, that Peter would have seen prior to interacting with Jesus on the water. From the Gospel of Mark, cure of a demoniac, the cure of Simon's mother-in-law, the cleansing of a leper, the healing of a paralytic, the man with the withered hand, calming the storm at sea, the healing of the garrison demoniac, Jairus's daughter, the woman with the hemorrhage, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water. That's, a, that's 11 different miracles that Peter would have witnessed firsthand just from the Gospel of Mark. So add to those 11, there are four more from the Gospel of Matthew, ministering to a great multitude, healing of the centurion's servant, the healing of two blind men, and the healing of a mute person. Fifteen different recorded miracles from two Gospels. And then throw in from the Gospel of John, turning water into wine, the healing of the official son, and the healing of a man by the pool. Eighteen different recorded miracles Peter would have seen prior to this encounter. And those are the recorded ones. We know from the Bible, we know that the Gospels tell us that isn't everything. These are the things that are just recorded to help us believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They're not the entirety of everything that Jesus did in his ministry. Eighteen different miracles that Peter would have witnessed that would have demonstrated the power that Jesus had. That's how he knew because he spent enough time with Jesus to know who he was based on the way Jesus lived his life. That's how he knew the power that Jesus had. Peter knew what Jesus could do because he'd spent time with him, and he saw for himself the power of the Son of God. The challenge for us is to spend enough time with Jesus, one, that we recognize his presence, right? Learn how Jesus interacts with you. Learn how he touches your life. Learn how he tries to speak to you, whether it's in your prayer time, whether it's through study of the word, um, however that feeling comes to you. For some people, it's an audible voice. Uh, For me, it's more of a feeling or a thought or a recurring Bible verse that kind of triggers that that's what God trying to communicate with me. Figure out what that is. Spend enough time with Jesus that you know that, but also take time to look at what's going on in your life, uh, not only today, but the history of your life, and to recognize those places that Jesus has impacted your life. Be able to see the power of Jesus as he influences your life, as he impacts your life, as he impacts the lives of the people around you. It's incredibly valuable 
to be able to recognize the power, the way Jesus has touched your life, because recognizing that, understanding that, helps increase the faith that you have in what Jesus can do for you in any circumstance that you encounter. That's how Peter knew he could do it. He'd spent enough time with Jesus to know his voice, and he'd seen what Jesus had done to know that it was possible for him to work this miracle as well. Now, the last thing that Peter did was he trusted Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. In this moment of crisis, understand, we've talked about this already in the context, Peter could have easily turned back to the boat. As he started sinking, there had to be a group of people in the boat who were eagerly interested in making sure Peter didn't drown. And there had to be a rope in there or some way that they could have gotten to him. That boat was a very real, legitimate alternative, particularly to sinking and drowning in the, in the, in the sea. But in that moment of crisis, when he could have chosen the earthly, real, tangible thing, he turned to Jesus. And so if we're going to acknowledge that Peter had a weakness of faith that caused him to sink, we also have to acknowledge that Peter demonstrated tremendous faith in that moment of crisis by turning to Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves in our own moments of crisis, in those times when we get stressed or when we're struggling, do we demonstrate that same level of faith by turning back to Jesus? Or do we turn back to our own boats and those things that tend to give us uh, temporary peace and comfort? One other thing I want you to think about, right? Another thing that, that, that Peter did is he didn't just trust Jesus in moments of crisis. He trusted Jesus the whole time. The entire time he was with Jesus, Peter changed his life to be with Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus. And so one of the things I want you to think about is if we don't rely on Jesus during the calm moments of our life, why on earth would we assume that we would trust him in a moment of crisis? If we're not walking with him on a consistent basis, learning his voice, knowing how he's touching our lives, recognizing the power that he has in, in, in the way he interacts with us, if we're not doing those things in times when there isn't trouble, why on earth would we think we were going to do it in a moment of crisis? If in our moments of calm, we're living in our own kingdom, living in our own world, enjoying and, and accessing the things that we think give us our own peace and comfort and control, what are we going to do in a moment of crisis? We're going to do the exact same thing. But if in our moments of calm, we're walking with Jesus, we're building that relationship with him, we're getting to know him and his character better, we're trusting him to guide us on the good days and the bad, then when those crises come up in our lives, it's going to be natural to turn to him. And that's the other thing you got to remember. This was a natural reaction for Peter. He didn't stand there as he's sinking in the water and build a pro and con list and say, which one of these two is more likely to save me? It was an instinctual reaction that in that moment of fear, when he life flashing before his eyes, kind of a moment, the instinct was to turn to Jesus because he knew him enough. He recognized him. He recognized his power and that allowed him to trust him. And so one of the things I want you to think about are the crucial choices that Peter made in this that create a model for us to follow. Peter's journey out on the sea began with the courage and the faith to get out of the boat in the first place. So even though it may not have been a tremendous choice because of the social pressure he would have felt in that environment, let's not overlook the courage and the faith that it took to get out of the boat. Right? I want just right. It's not logical for a person to say, I'm going to step out of a boat onto water and walk. 
That takes tremendous courage and faith and a real belief that Jesus can execute this miracle and that Jesus is going to protect him. And one thing I want you to think about is no matter what it is that got him out of that boat, I just, just picture what that must have been like. Imagine the joy that would have come from that first step. And one of the things I want you to think about is we get that same feeling. There are times when Jesus calls us to do things that aren't natural for us to do, that push us outside our comfort zone. But boy, if you've ever done one of those things, you know the moment you start doing it, there's just a tremendous joy and a tremendous peace that comes from doing that thing you know God's asking you to do and having the courage and faith to take that step. And that's what Peter would have experienced in this moment. It had to be, I mean, almost like a kid at Christmas kind of a moment, that feeling of being out on the water that way. What a tremendous, just what a tremendous thing to think about. But like we talked before, the real choice that Peter made in this, right, that's the choice that came when Peter began to sink. That instinctual reaction to say, I am going to turn to Jesus and I'm not going to trust the boat. I trust that Jesus is the better alternative. And so like we said before, if we acknowledge that Peter's lapse of faith caused him to sink in the first place, shouldn't we also recognize that his faith quickly came back to him? So one of the questions I'd ask you, one of the things I'd challenge you to think about is what do you need to do to make sure your faith and your courage are strong enough to respond in the same way? What things do you need to add to your life? What do you need to do to build up that relationship with Jesus? What are the things maybe need to come out of your life? that are making it harder for you to develop that faith and that courage? It's a, it's a really important question for you that I really would challenge you to get at. And it's frankly one that probably never has a complete answer. Satan is, is really crafty in finding ways to cause us to invest time in things that aren't God. And so it's entirely possible um, and frankly likely that this becomes a lifelong kind of analysis. Um, where we stop frequently and just think about what are the things that are holding me back? What are the things that weaken my faith, that take away my courage, the things that make it harder for me to instinctively uh, turn to Jesus when I have those moments of trouble? And so as we kind of wrap this up today, the thing I challenge you to think about is what went right for Peter? What's the model that he left us? Well, there's really five things that I want you to think about. First off, he talked to Jesus enough to recognize his voice. So step one of the model that Peter left for us, spend time talking to Jesus. So Peter had the luxury of being able to sit down with him in person and be able to interact with him face to face. Um, We obviously interact with Jesus in a very different way, and it's called prayer and it's called time in the word. Get back to spending time in prayer and time in the word. Get to know Jesus again. Um, And if you know him already, spend more time to deepen that relationship. We will never know him completely this side of heaven. And so there's always going to be a call, no matter how good your relationship is with him, there's always going to be a call to spend more time, get to know him better. So step one, Peter had talked to Jesus enough to recognize his voice. Step two, he'd experienced the power of Jesus in his life enough to know that when he said come, he could make Peter walk on the water. Are you aware of the ways that Jesus has impacted your life? Have you spent time looking at where your life is today, significant moments in your life in the past where Jesus has impacted your life, has shaped the course of your life, has come in to rescue you in a particular moment, has introduced you to someone um, that had a positive, powerful, life-changing impact on you? There's lots of big ways and small ways that Jesus interacts in our lives on a daily basis. Do you recognize what those are? And do you know what those experiences are that really help build that confidence 
that Jesus has the power uh, to work miracles in your life. That's how Peter knew that Jesus could do this when he called him out on the water. He'd experienced the power of Jesus enough in his life to know that Jesus could do what he was saying. And that's step number two. Step number three, he had enough faith and courage to defy logic and step out of the boat. God's calling us to do things, right? We aren't saved um, just to be able to say we're saved. God wants us to be with him for eternity. And that is one of the reasons that the gift of salvation is ours to, to embrace. But the other reason is he wants us to build up his kingdom. He has work for us to do. And that generally requires faith and courage. Because when we do that, we're doing things that tend to defy the logic of the world. Um, he tends to call us to do things that the world probably doesn't like and certainly can't relate to. And so it takes a measure of faith and courage to take those steps. It took a measure of faith and courage for Peter to step out of the boat, even though he knew Jesus was calling him, because what he was doing defied logic. And so my challenge to you is, do you have enough faith and do you have enough courage to do those things that Jesus is asking you to do? Step number three. Step number four, Peter made a conscious decision to move away from the security he knew and draw closer to, to Christ. So when we get in those moments of crisis, and frankly, not even moments of crisis, right? So there's just times where we're having a bad day and, uh, and we want to turn back to things that make us feel better. The world tells us to turn to certain things. But when we turn to those things, it causes us to have to turn away from Christ. And in this particular moment, Peter made a conscious decision to forego the security of the world, the comfort of the world, the tangible assets of the world, and instead he turned closer to Christ. He placed his trust in Jesus, that Jesus was a better place uh, for safety than, than what the boat was. And so he made that conscious decision to move away from the security he knew, and he drew closer to Christ. Step number four. Step number five, in a moment of crisis, he chose Jesus over the safety of the boat. In that moment when he had to react, because he'd done those first four things, he was in a position where he could choose Jesus and not turn back to the safety of the boat. And that's my challenge to you. Know who Jesus is. Know his power. Build up your faith and courage. Um, make a conscious decision to move away from earthly things that draw your attention so that when you get into those moments of crisis, you can choose Jesus over the things that the world would tend to cause you to pull back to. The central issue of all of this um, isn't if uh, we fail uh, or fall or doubt, right? Because those things are going to happen. The central question is this, when we do fall, when we do fail, when we do doubt, to whom or to what do we turn? And this is where I would tell you Peter, in the midst of his failure, succeeded immensely. Rather than going back to the temporary security of the boat, he turned to the eternal security of Christ. And so when you begin to sink in your own world, when you have those moments where fear or stress or confusion cause you to start to sink in the sea, my challenge to you is to, rem is to remember this. Remember the courage and the faith of Peter. Turn to Jesus and don't turn back to the boat. And now if you would please join me in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, just for the gift of your word, um, for the examples that uh, men like Peter set for us. We thank you for the lessons we get to learn from Jesus Christ, your son. Um, and we thank you that those are passed down to us through your holy scripture. We thank you so much um, for the ways that you love us and to continue to show yourself in our lives, um, to, to lift us up, to bring us peace, to bring us comfort in our moments of, of trials and troubles. 
we thank you for the salvation that you earned for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, We thank you that you love us enough to take those steps for us. We thank you for the work that you call us to. We just pray, Lord, that you'll continue to help us build up our relationship in you, build up the faith and the courage that we can do the work before us to help build up your kingdom and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for taking time out today on the Don't Turn Back podcast. Really appreciate you uh, being here with us today. Um, Have a great day and God bless. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I do not take for granted what a blessing it is to have you here, and I hope you found something that will help you carry on today. If you have questions, need prayer, or just want to connect, you can reach me at don'tturnbackpodcast at yahoo.com. That's don'tturnbackpodcast, without the apostrophe, at yahoo.com. Don't forget to subscribe to get all of my upcoming episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Psalm 55.22 reminds us, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Cast your burdens on the Lord, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, and don't turn back to the boat.